So I get a lot of clients who want career coaching because of this COVID thing where they're like, I don't want to work in this field anymore. I want to try another field, but do I have the transferable skills? So when they start talking, they realize that they are very qualified for those positions, but it's just fear that's blocking their pursuit of it, like a fear of just any unknowns or uncertainties. And then once we go through the process of coaching, they realize they are more than capable of thriving in those positions. They just have to do the work to get into the system. Hi, welcome to She Will Not Be Silenced with Keisha Shields, the podcast for women leaders on a mission to change the world and build empires that have legacy success, influence, and intergenerational wealth. We'll talk about how stigmas, stereotypes, grief, and other people's opinions can keep women's voices silenced and the impact these have on successful women and their emotions, their relationships, and their money. If you have felt silenced and need guidance, awakening, and amplifying your voice, Visit KeishaShields.com to check out my best-selling Find Your Voice course. Please take a quick second to hit the subscribe button and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of She Will Not Be Silenced. I am your hostess, Keisha Shields, and today I have a new friend for our Conversations with Friends episode. I have Dr. Ijama Wogu, and I'm so excited to talk to her. And it's funny because we realized in our kind of connections call how we actually have some related threads from like where we kind of grew up, which is funny because no one is ever from here. So that was really exciting and kind of made it feel like a more natural connection even. So I'm looking forward to you all hearing our conversation. Dr. Ijama, welcome. Yay, I'm here. Thank you for having me, Keisha. It's so exciting to be on here with you. So should I just be calling you Ijama? You're welcome to call me Ijama. We're homegirls, so you could call me Ijama. I want to make sure. Okay. Yes. So, Ijama, we're going to start this episode by asking you, tell us, who is Dr. Ijama Wogu? Wow, such a big question. <laughs> who is Dr. Ijama Wogu? Well, I, I consider myself an inspirer, an educator, and a coach. So my life's work really involves inspiring people to do what they're inspired by. So together we make the world better. So I am big on inspiration, big on encouraging folks to go after their wildest dreams. That's my passion. Again, that's my life's purpose. And so I design a lot of my programs and services and products around inspiring folks. So I am an educator. Currently, I do work at Rice University in Houston, Texas. So in that work, I create spaces where the Rice community can learn about inclusive leadership. So that's me presenting or inviting outside speakers to talk about that topic. So I do love educating folks on how they could become better people, better leaders. And I'm also a coach, a leadership coach, life coach. So folks who really feel stuck 
in moving forward with their dreams or they're dealing with imposter syndrome or just any other barrier that's in the way, I enjoy coaching folks one-on-one to help them move past those barriers and create some goals for themselves, some action steps that they can take that they feel empowered by and they feel that are feasible. So yes, that's who I am. I, I value talent. I value compassion. I'm big on folks having self-compassion for themselves. Of course, I value diversity. That's the work I currently do in my career. And I value freedom. I value wisdom, authenticity. All those values really guide the work that I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, overall, I believe that every person is capable, resourceful, and whole. I kind of use those three descriptors, how I engage with my coaching clients or anyone I really interact with who come to me and say, ah, I don't really feel confident about this or capable in doing this. And I have to remind them, you have all you need to be successful. You just have to tap into it or clear that cloud of anxiety or that cloud of fear. And you will see that you already know what you want to do. You have the resources to get started and you are absolutely capable. So that's a bit about, you know, who I am, what I do, and what I am inspired by. Yeah, that was actually really informative. So that sure. was good. And it was, I was listening and it, I kind of smiled because it's like now, I remember when we had initially connected, you talked about how a lot of my values resonated with yours and now I can see why. Like, and yeah. you I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm telling you, having compassion for yourself, we were just talking about that before starting to record, you know, about how I had to have some compassion for myself when I was sick doing that long mm-hmm. day of calls and stuff, you know? Yeah. You know, and having compassion for others, I think is something that is overlooked a lot of times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking to Ijama about, for me, the importance of being very mindful and having space for people to mm-hmm. step out of what they were in and into the space that we're in now and how having an intention around that has made a significant difference for me. Because when people come on, whether they are a client that's coming onto a one-to-one call with me, or whether it's a guest coming on a podcast, I always try to be very intentional that I don't know what they were just stepping out of right before our space, you know, and so having some grace and some compassion and some understanding, right, to give people a moment, even in our space to just take a breath and, Mm -hmm. you know, get themselves aligned with where we desire to be in our conversation, you know, is so important to me. And for me, that's a way of having compassion for not only myself, but also mm-hmm. for others, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this self-care piece that you're explaining about being intentional is so critical because we have to, you know, develop those good habits right away because I just believe in a cumulative effect when things continue to build up, build up, build up and we're not taking care of ourselves, ultimately we will crash and we may not be able to return back to how we were. Oftentimes we do take things for granted with our health at the moment, not knowing that we're adding on and it's going to like be a cumulative thing that explodes and we may be to a point of no return. So Mm -hmm. practicing that those healthy habits is so important. I love your story and what you shared, how your body really took a toll and, you know, you, you made the decision to be deliberate about your future actions. I just love that. 
yeah you know god kind of mm-hmm. kicked me in the butt <laughs> say, like if you want to make god laugh make a point right <laughs> that was kind of what it was i was like i'm gonna have this one really long day and you know get all of these things done yeah okay yeah. <laughs> i was like okay i'm not gonna do that no more mm-hmm. i'm sorry right <laughs> all right you know i'll have yeah. more space and more grace you know and i'm even navigating that like mm-hmm. in my relationships with yeah. like friends and people like that because I was texting a friend earlier that I haven't spoken to in a while Mm -hmm. and I was just asking her I only have like one hour today that I can dedicate to like that conversation Mm -hmm. you know and it made me chuckle because she wrote back and she was like I guess I can be squeezed into that time I'm flexible right (laughs) and it's so hard though you know because it's like I understand you don't want to have to like feel like everything is scheduled, like your conversations with your friends or whatever, right? But it was like, I want to be so intentional in our space that I don't want to just have a random thing. Exactly. That makes sense, right? You You sound just like me. That's exactly my philosophy too. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. It's quality over quantity. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have a little time to prepare your space and make time for our call. Just like, I want to make time for our call. You know, Um, there's nothing like trying to fit it into the midst of doing a million things. You know, the integrity of the conversation is not going to be great, you know? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So sometimes, you know, people don't necessarily, it's not necessarily their value, if that makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. something that I have to do to honor myself, you know? And I'm at a place where I'm like really big on honoring myself now. People thought I was always like that, but not so. Hmm. So it's been a really tough journey for me of learning to be okay mm-hmm. with prioritizing not only my needs. I didn't have a problem mm-hmm. prioritizing my needs, but prioritizing my wants over others' needs mm-hmm. was a challenge for me because we're usually given a pass if we have a need, but if it's a want and we prioritize mm. that over somebody else's need, it doesn't necessarily have the same like, you know, acceptable ring to it in a lot of cultures, right. and communities, you know? Yeah. So that's been something, but speaking of that, you mentioned that you value like the quality over quantity and you sometimes will ask others to like allocate space and time. What brought you into kind of operating like that for yourself and your relationships? Let me think about that. Because I just value people's lived experiences. For me, I've always been someone who doesn't, like I just imagine being on a phone with a friend and I have my kids making a bunch of noise in the background and I'm constantly like redirecting them like be quiet be quiet oh go get this back and and then I'm still trying to have a conversation with a friend over the phone I've never been one to do that a lot of my friends do that but I don't like doing that so I like scheduling a time with my friends being in complete solitude with no interruptions Mm -hmm. so that I could zone in on them and whatever they're dealing with because I just love helping people and I value the lived experiences of others and I enjoy validating people and encouraging them I want to give that full space to them. Not everyone is like that. Not everyone has the same paradigm that people like me or you have where we value the human experience. So I think just with that value system really shapes the fact that I adhere to quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. I probably will talk to you maybe two times a year, but Mm -hmm. the quality of that conversation is memorable. 
versus these choppy conversations. And people go through so much. And as adults, you want someone to be like a sounding board for you or just to hear you. You want to be heard. You want to be seen. You want to be validated. And I just want to provide that space for my friends. And so. I totally get that. Like I'm just smiling because it's really nice to like hear others who operate on a similar type of paradigm, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, that way of being is not superior to anyone else's and vice versa. You know what I mean? But it works well for Mm -hmm. the way that you desire to interact with the world around you, you know? Yeah. And I think that's really very important. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you next, maybe one or two of the conversations that you enjoy having the most with mm-hmm. prospective clients mm-hmm. or people who are in a similar industry as you? Hmm. Well, I, I'm open to all sorts of concerns that people have. I don't, I don't think that I have a particular concern because I value people finding their purpose and tapping into their talents. I guess that would be something that I would thoroughly enjoy coaching someone through. So that would answer your question. If you have concerns about, gosh, what is my purpose in life? How do I tap into my curiosities? What are my interests? I have so many. What should I focus on? Am I even skilled to apply for this job? So I get a lot of clients who want career coaching because of this COVID thing where they're like, I don't want to work in this field anymore. I want to try another field, but do I have the transferable skills? So when they start talking, they realize that they are very qualified for those positions, but it's just fear that's blocking their pursuit of it, like a fear of just any unknowns or uncertainties. And then once we go through the process of coaching, they realize they are more than capable (laughs) of thriving in those positions. They just have to do the work to get into the system. So yeah, I talk about many different topics, but if I had to pick one, it would be purpose or tapping into your talents. Yes. Okay. So that's awesome. So, cause I want to come back to that topic. Okay. Mm-hmm. What I was going to ask you is you mentioned in our prior conversation about how, when you were younger, you had an experience, I believe it was of like being called stupid. Right. Can you talk a little bit about your first or one of your first experiences as a younger Ijama with feeling like you were being silenced or feeling like you were not being called to really speak up and use your voice? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I could continue along with that particular experience because it it really was uh, pretty traumatizing for me. I, I realized that much later in life that it was actually traumatizing where Uh, I can't remember, I think I was maybe 12 years old getting ready to enter like seventh grade or something. And uh, (laughs) if I give too many details, I might give the person away, but it was just a situation where uh, I couldn't recall the details of something that had happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this adult figure was so upset and angry with me, they couldn't believe that I couldn't remember what had happened. And so you know, they were berating me like, oh, you're so stupid. How, you know, how could you not remember this, that, the other? So that word stupid stayed in my my mind and I believed it. I believe like, well, yeah, why, why couldn't you remember? And I, I felt silenced in that moment because 
Ooh, very emotional for me. I felt silenced in that moment because I knew that my intentions were pure. I didn't intend to lie or intend to with, withhold information. I just didn't, I couldn't communicate. I was terrified of this person and didn't want to say anything that would get me in more trouble. Or I was just shocked and confused at the degree of anger that was behind such a thing, especially when I, I wasn't intending on causing any harm. And so I was just stuck and felt silenced. Like, oh, if only you knew that I, I wasn't trying to be bad or, or lie or anything like that. I wish you knew what was going on in my mind. And so because of that dissonance of knowing the truth and not being able to articulate it, I certainly did feel silenced. And, and I, I also at the same time believed this notion about myself and it carried over into even when I took notice of it in graduate school. So uh, around age 22, you know, entering graduate school, I was selected to be a, a student in a very competitive program where they picked like 15 people out of over 100 applicants. And so I'm in a classroom or in a, in a cohort system, um, as they call it, um, with 15 other brilliant people from all across the nation who look differently from me in terms of well, they are white folks, right? <laughs> there were barely any people of color in that program, maybe two other people, and everyone else was white. So I came in with these ideas of the stereotype around Black girls or Black women. And, you know, I remembered also this idea that I was stupid, right? And mm -hmm. so carrying these stereotypes, and they call it stereotypes, right? When you're afraid of 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 acting out or behaving in a way that justifies a, uh, a particular stereotype about an identity group in society. So I was carrying the stereotype threat along with this idea that I was stupid into graduate school. And that's when trauma shows up, at least imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome shows up when you have to perform. And so imposter syndrome will tell you that you're not good enough, you don't belong, you don't deserve to be there, you're not smart enough, why are you here? And so when it shows up, it also carried with it that stereotype threat and that traumatic experience from childhood. So I'm sitting in class and we sit in this U-shape, right? And the professor would usually engage in a little bit of lecture, but then the class was really heavily dialogue focused. So it required me to speak up. And in my undergraduate program, in my college, right, as an undergraduate, I went to these big lecture halls and you didn't have to raise your hand. You didn't have to speak up in class. You just took your notes and you went home. Mm -hmm. So when you enter a space where you have to actually showcase your intellect, I felt totally out of place. I felt like, man, I am such an imposter. I better not say anything before I show myself to be truly stupid. And, you know, every time I would go home and once I would be out of that situation where I felt so much like an imposter and I would go back to my apartment, and I would reflect on how the day went and I would be so remorseful, so angry with myself that I never raised my hand like everyone else to share my valid insights, to share my opinions, to share my knowledge, because I certainly had it. Sure. And then I would, you know, I would promise myself like, okay, the next day I'm going to meet my quota, I'll raise my hand at least one time to say something. And I would do it. But then the next day I would revert right back to my imposter syndrome and allow it to dictate what I did in class. So I battled this thing for like two years. And, you know, it wasn't until I got out of the program and I started learning more about different things and maturing a little bit. And at the time I couldn't name it. I couldn't name what I was experiencing. I didn't know what imposter syndrome even was. I just thought, 
something was wrong with me, right? Not knowing that imposter syndrome impacts almost all of us, most of us, if not all of us. And so I think it's really important for people to be able to be aware of what imposter syndrome is, recognize that it's a very common experience that people have. Maybe certain life experiences will trigger it for you when you're in situations where you have to perform or deliver or showcase any sort of intellect. So as I started learning more about imposter syndrome, I would think about, gosh, why was I so silent in graduate school? And I would think about different things. I thought about my childhood. I thought about the stereotype threat, the fact that I was also outnumbered, you know, when you look at racial identity. Yeah. So all of those factors influenced it. But over time, you kind of unlearn this internalized oppression we often put ourselves in where we believe lies about ourselves, lies about Black girls and women, lies about, you know, what you ought to be doing or being or all of that. So unlearning all of that, like, fake information that I've been internalizing or either taught Mm -hmm. unintentionally or maybe even intentionally conditioned and socialized as a member of society to believe certain things about yourself. So over time, that, that was one of the ways I've been able to overcome imposter syndrome is to be able to name it and reflect on my own lived experiences and unlearn a lot of the false information that I had internalized. I know a lot of people listening can relate to that. I know a few people who say they haven't had to battle imposter syndrome throughout their life. You said that they had or haven't? Have not. Oh, okay. But the great majority, that was very uh, unusual for me to hear. Because mm-hmm. the great majority of people I know, had, that has been a major, right. um, not only barrier, a major complication at times, right, to them advancing, whether through their education, whether through that career, that thread of feeling like they're not good enough to be in that particular space, you know, mm-hmm. for one reason or another. Like I know, for example, for me, I know I have definitely felt that throughout periods of my life, but for me, it was never because of my intellect. It was always mm-hmm. because I didn't care about being popular enough. And yeah. I always worried like, well, I'm not, you know, I was always a pretty popular kid. Like most people knew me for the most part, but I never desired that, right? That mm-hmm. makes sense, you know, that whole quality over quantity thing. And so yeah. I was always like, well, I'm just a small fish, not because of my intellect, but because my network was small, if that makes mm. sense, right? And oh, so yeah. that was something that brought up those feelings for me. Like I've always owned like my intellect. That was actually probably the one thing that actually got me through the majority of my life mm. was knowing that I was smart as heck. Like yes. knowing that I was like one of the most like best of the best when it came to like knowing her mind, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was a safety net for me because it was really one of the only like maybe two or three things that I actually felt was good enough, like mm-hmm. growing up, if that makes sense, right? Yes. Like I was always complimented and commendated because of mm-hmm. my intelligence or my excelling at this thing or that thing. And so it was like a protective armor 
you know, throughout abuse and other things that were taking place, it was like, I could always fall back on that. Right. You know? And so, but for me, it was like, my network is not big enough. You know, I don't know enough of the right people, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that was something that brought those feelings up for me, you know? Oh, absolutely. So I love how so many of us, so many of us deal with it. And I want people to see that theirs may have come through in a different way, right? Mm-hmm, but being mm-hmm. able to identify some times where that may have been something. And I wrote down when you said unlearning the fake information. Mm-hmm. That resonated with me. Yeah. <laughs> like I love that you called it fake information or false information. You know, I wanted to call it fake news, but then yeah. I had to remember who I uses know. that term. So I was like, ah, that's funny because that's me. I'm yes. Okay. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Okay. <laughs> fake information, unlearning fake information. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm. I'm like, absolutely. You know, yeah. sadly, you don't know until you get old enough, right? Yes. To understand, mm-hmm. wow, all of these things that I thought were true for me because of this stereotype or mm-hmm. this stigma, mm-hmm. you know, it was not really the case. It brings up a lot of trauma and grief. Mm-hmm. And grief, you're like, whoa. And then it's like, yeah. well, I spent, and then I know, because I know for me, and I talk about this in a couple of episodes, I think. I say I think because I don't record so much stuff. I don't know <laughs> the episode or what. I'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> I talk about the grief and, like, for me, the resentment. Mm-hmm. I realized that I had a lot of resentment. Yeah, And I didn't realize that, you know, because I have always for like the majority of my life been like the calm one, like mm-hmm. I don't really raise my voice. That's not me. You know, mm-hmm. even when I'm angry, mm-hmm. I still pretty much interact like this. Right. Mm-hmm. That's my way of being. I don't like fly off the handle. Now my yeah. husband might say something different, but <laughs> generally speaking, right. I don't, you know. I don't interact in that way because for me, it takes me into a frantic space and I don't like feeling frantic. Right. Mm. But so my way of being is more calm, more relaxed, more just like conversational so that I can really understand Mm -hmm. what's happening, what's the problem, what's going on, you know, but Mm. then I realized. And so because of that, I didn't realize I had a lot of resentment about the things that I have been fed that were true for me that were not true for me at all mm-hmm. you know and I'm like gosh I made so many decisions and moves based on these things that I was told were true you know yeah um, for yeah. me whether being yeah. as a black girl or being a black girl from the deep south or like all of the other elements that come up to it you know right. and so this idea of unlearning fake information I thought was like spot on like that's mm-hmm. so resonant you know because that's mm-hmm. what a lot of it is Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is fear-based information yeah you know sometimes our parents fear for us Mm -hmm. that people will take advantage of us or whatever the variety of things are and so sometimes things are fed through that lens you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but again as a child you don't often know you know and that's why for me it's an intentional thing to make sure that my children are like understand how to you know what I mean identify and really process and intellectualize information that Mm -hmm. they can make some of their own determinations you know Mm -hmm. I think that when we talk about legacy and healing intergenerational trauma and wounds and 
Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things. I really think that we have to be more intentional about yeah. speaking to our children about the things that plague us that we didn't realize it when we were kids, right? Absolutely. And being mindful not to continue to perpetuate, you know, mm-hmm. that cycle of fear or false information. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That sometimes happens from generation to generation to generation, you know? Yeah. And, oh, it's, it's hard work and it's, it's not going to be perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. I screw up all the time, but I'm trying to be as intentional as I can to help my children not believe the falsities that I believed growing up. And I see that they pick up on things, especially when it comes to gender. Like my daughter will say, oh, you know, she'll say to her brother that he shouldn't wear pink. Like pink is for girls. Mm -hmm. And I have to challenge them and say, hey, pink is just a color. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask the question, does pink turn you into a girl? Do you become a girl by using pink or wearing pink? And they'll say no. And so I'm like, well, you see, it doesn't turn you into a girl. Mm -hmm. And, And things like that, I'm constantly trying to challenge norms for them to enhance their critical thinking ability to not, you know, operate on fear, because I think oftentimes people are lazy and people don't want to do the work of educating their children. So it's easier for them to say, just don't do it because that's just not what girls do, Mm -hmm. because they don't want to educate and inform. And that's their way of trying to protect their child, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is a whole nother podcast, but the way I feel about sexuality and the things that they teach young girls and and boys. Oh my gosh, so toxic. Teaching girls to hate their bodies and they don't even realize they actually hate their bodies or teaching boys that they have to like conquer the woman or, you know, all these messages that they get, these subtle messages that they get. I am so like, you know, working hard to coach my children to not, you know, to think for themselves and to understand who they are, their bodies, understand gender, understand their identity as, as Black people. Like all of those things, I'm constantly fighting with social norms that they learn from school or social media. And it's difficult. It's really hard to be intentional, but it has to be done. Mm-hmm. It does. And, you know, uh-huh. conversations are, you know, are relevant in, in the sense that the societal expectations, right, of mm-hmm who we are and how we are to be have a direct, as you know, a direct impact and correlation to a lot of women dealing with this idea of having felt silenced at some point, whether it was because they felt like they didn't have control over their body. Right. They felt like someone else was setting the rules Mm -hmm. or they felt like, you know, they couldn't speak up above the man. Right. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, of all of these things, and so it has such a direct impact on this the idea of feeling comfortable speaking up and really owning your voice and doing it and feeling safety along with it, right? Yes, that safety you know? piece. Because for me, like growing up, and I don't, this is always very, a little awkward for me to talk about. And the reason why I say this is because, you know, it's when you deal with your own truths, right? Mm-hmm. It's very freeing, as we mm-hmm. all know. But then when your truth kind of imposes on someone else's true story, you know, that's something line that I'm constantly teaching others how to battle is where my story ends mm-hmm. and it's now someone else's story to tell if that makes sense, right? Yeah. But growing up, there were many, many times where my worry about really speaking up, being heard, being vocal was that it brought up 
insecurity and fears of not being safe, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if I say this, am I going to be hit? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. kind of thing, like what's going to happen, you know? So I think sometimes people knowingly or unknowingly minimize people's lived experiences, right? Well, and people like, you know, I didn't have a problem speaking up when I, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's great. But for some people they do, right? And for some people it's a safety issue. And then you grow up and you mm-hmm. are always constantly worried about, am I safe? Yes. Am I safe if I say these things? Am mm-hmm. I safe if I show up and be seen in public, right? And that's for me a thread that like, ran through my childhood quite a bit, even though most people didn't know, right? Because to most Mm -hmm. people, I was very vocal and outspoken, but if only they knew what I really, really wanted to be talking about, you know, like I was a little kid, I was like, they called me mama bear, even while I was in elementary school, I was (laughs) mama bear to like the other little kid, Mm -hmm. like I was a little kid who people always wanted to come talk to and just tell just a safe place. It, yeah. was, it wasn't any of that right. And I recognize now that it was me modeling what mm. I really needed and wish I had. Wow. And I see now why I was so like mothering and motherly mm-hmm. since I was like a child myself, you know. Wow. That's making me life. think of stuff. <laughs> okay, can you, you want to can you share something that's coming up? Oh wow. <laughs> I mean, when you said you you kind of mimic what you wish you had, I just started thinking about like how touchy feely I was and hugging people all the time and smiling in their faces and like mm-hmm. back in high school would always just like braid my friend's hair and just be very like close, like physical closeness and yeah. holding my friend's hands and, you know, linking elbows or whatever. And I, I just felt that, you know, growing up in the Nigerian household back then, there was no such thing as being close to your children, like mm-hmm. that showing that emotional and lovey-dovey kind of care and smiling in, in your child's face or hugging your child. I didn't have all of that growing up from my parents. Mm-hmm. They were close, but with their children, they did not do all that kissy-huggy kind of thing, mm-hmm. very stoic. So I desperately wanted that. And I think that's even just part of my nature because my sisters didn't do that. And they also grew up in the same household. Not only was it my nature, but it was also what I desired. But I never even processed that until you just painted the picture. And I I thoroughly believe that was part of it to be as as touchy feely as I was now mm-hmm. now these days people don't want you to touch them yeah. <laughs> so you got to be careful about all that right but back then it was yeah. okay to hug your friends and mm-hmm. to like do all that stuff to mm-hmm. show that you you love someone or you care right but yes yeah that's I'm, like, I'm so glad that you had that kind of like that moment for yourself to make that mm-hmm. connection and like that's one of the things I love about just having genuine conversations right you know, is that so many times you'll find moments where you can see your experience inside someone else's, you know? Yeah. You know, because I didn't know that growing up, but as I got older and really dealt into like, what's going on here? You know, it was a mm-hmm. lot of that. It's like, I, you know, I know my daughter sometimes would be like, mom, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, okay, that's enough. That's enough. I'm the same thing. Like, I, I want to know, like, how are you feeling? What's right. Going on? Like, I'm really kind of like right the point back in you know so yeah yeah so just you know things like that Mm -hmm. I really encourage everyone listening 
to really see if they have that connection for themselves. Absolutely. Because we don't often know it until we see it, you know? And for me, that was a big one. And it was like, I was safe in those moments. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that everyone who was in my presence knew that they were safe to share whatever they needed to share. Right. You know? And so, you know, I find it funny that now this is the work I do. Exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, I tried to tell (laughs) (laughs) you, you know, and so it's kind of just funny how those things like shape, you know, Mm -hmm. our ways of being. Mm-hmm. in ways that we don't often recognize you know yeah yeah because so, people who know me now are like I cannot imagine that you couldn't speak up and couldn't I'm talking mm-hmm. even as an adult like mm-hmm. and I went through that like this has been a long like, a lifelong journey for me like mm-hmm. I went through periods where like okay so this is the thing I all I've always spoken up let me yeah yeah I have always spoken up mm-hmm. but I have not often spoken up about me gotcha and that's oh, wow. the difference mm-hmm. I could speak up about causes that matter to me I was very active in like social and mm-hmm. charitable stuff like my whole life I could speak up about things that I knew and knew well but mm-hmm. if you ask most people they barely knew anything about me and yeah. that's what I'm referring to Hmm. women especially my clients who come to me are really good at talking and speaking up about everything else Mm -hmm. but themselves and Mm -hmm. they come to a place where their next dimension requires them to be at the forefront of what they're doing yeah and so now they're like I didn't even realize I never really talked about myself Mm. and my life and my journey and like all Mm -hmm. of that. And so this, the fear sometimes or the insecurities start Mm -hmm. to enrich them and start to like, you know, invade their mind and their spirits Mm -hmm. and they can't stop trying to figure out how to navigate it, you know? So that's kind of the thing. And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm like, but if you think about, do you actually know a whole lot about me? And they're like, well, yeah, good point. Right. You know? And it's so because I became very intentional, like if I didn't feel that I had safety. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. The conversations would shift mm-hmm. to all of the other things, right? You know what, Keisha, that reminds me of, I don't know if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes, I am. Yeah. So it's like, if your safety part, the foundation is not there, how are you going to self-actualize? Mm-hmm. Like self-actualization is at the top, but if your safety is not there, then forget about it. Like you have to take care of those safety needs first. And that's what the body is doing. Your mind is doing. And your so mind. I totally get that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. And I'm glad you said that. Cause I, this is something I do say often. And I try to post often on social is this idea of safety. Like when I was a child, it was a lot of, it was some physical safety, not always, but a big part of the threat for me has been emotional safety. Mm-hmm. And I say that all the time, emotional safety has been the most challenging aspect for mm-hmm. me to overcome. Yeah. I was always an emotionally safe space for anyone, right? But mm-hmm. it's because I always mm-hmm. desired that for myself, you know? That's powerful, yeah. Um, I always desired to be able to just, someone to actually 
ask how I was doing and listen to mm-hmm. my answer, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Things mm-hmm. like that, that I could share something that I was battling as a child and feel emotionally safe to know that the whole neighborhood wasn't going to know what I was going through. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, or the whole family, like the whole family doesn't have to know every single thing that your child is navigating. You know, mm-hmm. there's an element of emotional safety that has to be put in place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to be that, you know, that space and that haven for the people you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was one of the biggest ones, like through out my whole life you know is and I'm like if I don't have emotional safety Mm -hmm. the conversations shift yes I'm Mm -hmm. very vocal but you're probably going to learn more about my expertise and about what I believe than you are actually about me that correct Mm -hmm. you know and so that's one of the things there that was Mm -hmm. a lot of that very cool Mm -hmm. so how what about you um have you had any like emotional safety obstacles like throughout Mm -hmm. your life whether in childhood or Mm -hmm. as you merged into adulthood oh what comes to mind immediately is my relationship with my life partner or my spouse in early in our marriage I noticed that when it was time for like tough conversations or he did something that would upset me I would just shut down and get very angry and not speak with him and it could even go on for days. And wow. he he wasn't like that, you know. He just didn't understand. Like, just talk to me. If you're mad, tell me what 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 I did. Let's talk mm-hmm. it out. And I would just shut down because that's how I grew up. Like, there was no such thing as talking it out with your parent, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? So I I always was silent in the household because I knew that that was not going to be a conducive thing where the parent is just right. You're not going to have any voice here. Just do as I say or suffer the consequences type of thing. So it sounds like my parents were horrible people. They were not. They were wonderful. You know, they created a wonderful living space for us, provided our every needs, met moments, empowered us, all of that. They weren't necessarily abusive, Uh but they did what they just knew because of their own upbringing, growing up in Nigeria and, and, and bringing that stuff over to our lives in the United States and just trying to do the best that they can. And in Nigerian culture, they remove the emotion from everything. It's just like not knowing that emotions matter. They are so important. Every human being is emotional, but they don't believe in that, right? So tapping into that aspect was non-existent in my household. So I, I did carry over that behavior into my marriage where I wouldn't feel free to voice what I had to say. I was so used to bottling things up. And then maybe later on, after some days, I I will realize that this conversation had to happen. So I've totally (laughs) grown out of that, thank God. Because when I even remember how I was, I was like, man, I was so immature. Like, what is that? But my husband is very supportive, very open. And so I I eventually came to a point where, you know, we talk a lot about our, our lived experiences in childhood and how that really shaped us. It shapes everyone. Man, mm-hmm. childhood is so important. And so in, in talking that out and freeing myself by talking to him about my childhood, aspects of my childhood, I think that was liberating for me to then know that he is a safe space. There's that word again. Yeah. That he's a safe space. And I'm coming to realizations just even having this conversation. He was my safe space to 
now be myself because he accepted my childhood and he he said he understood and he was supportive. So now I've released that, you know, burden that I was carrying for years and I'm much more able <laughs> to have productive conversations with him yeah. unreservedly. So, yes. See, I, <laughs> conversations be so good. I'm telling you, right? You know, I always like bring my pen and paper because I already know I'm going to be taking notes, right? <laughs> always like little things that I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally yeah. get it. Right? But oh. you're such a good host. Like, you ask really good questions that I never had to like answer before. And then I'm like realizing a whole bunch of stuff. I'm like, man, I, um, I know. Wow, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so funny because yesterday I made a comment like that and something was asking if anybody else had any questions and I just made the comment and I was like ha I'm never short of questions right mm. you know it's like I've always been that person who genuinely wants to know like okay how you're navigating life right from a right. place and that was not valued growing up it was like oh you're in people's business I'm like okay yeah Right? I'm like, I'm not in their business. Like, yeah. Because I genuinely am concerned and careful and want to know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was a big one. I'm like, I'm not in anybody's business, you know? Yeah. But yeah so thank you for saying that. I appreciate yeah. that. See, anytime you say something, it reminds me of a story again. Like, yeah, okay, go ahead. okay. So when I was seven years old, I remember like my mom walked into a room and I just started rattling off a bunch of questions, just telling her, like, how does this work? How does this, why does this happen? What, you know, just about life in general. Mm -hmm. I remember she was doing something walking around and she just stopped in her tracks and like did this little like giggle because she was overwhelmed by all my questions. <laughs> And she just looked down at me and she was like, Ajana, you asked so many questions. And then she jokingly was like, you should be a lawyer one day. And for some reason, I just did not know what she was talking about or meant. And I, it, I just carried that comment with me. It didn't traumatize me or anything. I just, it, you know, was kind of mm -hmm. neutral. And I was like, lawyer, ask questions. Okay. You know, I just remembered that conversation. I think that's funny. Of course, I didn't become a lawyer. I have yeah. no interest in becoming mm -hmm. a lawyer, mm -hmm. but I am utilizing this, this curiosity and this inquisitive nature that she did identify in yeah. me at an early age as yeah. a coach, mm -hmm. as a life coach, leadership coach, because we know that in coaching is the art of asking powerful questions, yep. right? Mm -hmm. To get the client thinking or raising the client's awareness about their situation. So mm -hmm. uh, I didn't become a lawyer. I am a coach. And yes. it's just funny how people identify things in you at an early age. You may not understand it, but that's who you are at, at your core. You're at a curious your person. Yeah, yes. you're inquisitive. Exactly. <laughs> like, now I literally get paid very, very well because yeah. people want to come tell me their business. Like oh, their business. Only like, the one that I'm like, okay. Like right. so I think it's just the darndest thing, you know? That is so funny. <laughs> like you were like, who who said that you were all up in people's business? But now you get paid yes. for people to tell you their so business. People come to me specifically because they want to tell me their business. They want uh. me to ask them the things that they need to really come to in themselves, right? Yes, that the irony of life. That's really what I do. <laughs> and it is just the darndest thing. And sometimes I think about it and I just chuckle. Yes. Because I'm like, well, isn't that something, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, only though I had mm -hmm. known back then yeah. the level of em embracing the mm -hmm. being that would have transpired 
right? Like, yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my God, I would have embraced this. And <laughs> you would have been a millionaire by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was always the girl who had like, like the life provoking mm-hmm. questions. Not just, mm-hmm. oh, where did you wear today? I was always right. like the really deep life questions as mm-hmm. a child. And they were like, you, mm-hmm. you're in everybody's mm-hmm. business. You're just, I'm like, yeah. And you really, you know, uh, that's why I love the 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 name of your podcast, She Will Not Be Silenced, because you're so good at capturing the here and the now. Like mm-hmm. after someone, said, like either you or someone says something, because of your curiosity, you ask another question that wasn't anticipated, but really gets maybe your guests thinking and even coming to their own realization. So I feel like I'm even in the coaching call uh, a little bit, right? <laughs> and you know it, what I wanted to say about the name of your podcast you will not be silenced and being in the here and now with them you're continuously canceling that silence that that person would have continued to have unknowingly mm-hmm. if you didn't help them bring it up in that moment like how I came to so many realizations that will cause me to not be silent anymore, even though this was an unintentional silence that I wasn't even aware of. Wow. Right? So you beautifully said. Yeah, you, right? you bring it to light. So, you know, your 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 style, your approach is it matches so much with the title, the name of your your show. So thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank yeah. you for saying that. Cause I even battled like doing this in this way, you know, because it's like you know, it's just who I am, right? Mm-hmm. I was like intentional. I'm like, I don't want to force a way of being. I don't want it to be this rattle off list of stuff. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and that's like, the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it just has to be. So I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So anything that comes from curiosity yeah. is always going to be intriguing. Yeah. And dynamic. I think when right. it comes from, I think uh, I would add a, a caveat to that. Mm-hmm. I would say when it comes from curiosity, that's embedded with pure intentions. Oh, yes. So, oh, yes. That is so important. Curiosity is simply mm-hmm. for ammunition to be quite mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So I would mm-hmm. just myself, I would add that caveat. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to continue to add that caveat when I talk yeah. about curiosity. Certainly, you know, certainly, because I think we all have experiences of people who have mm-hmm. displayed curiosity, but mm-hmm. really not for the best in you. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, um, so <laughs> yes, you know, like of- lawyers <laughs> in the courtroom, <laughs> you know, trying to prove a case. Uh-huh, yeah, uh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so fun. That reminds me. One time I was at court, I was there for someone else, right, and I had to get mm-hmm. on the stand and actually testify, right? Wow. And like they them prosecutors got me off that stand so fast like I was like y'all are not gonna get I mean because you know like I'm whip smart and I'm very I'm just genuine right they would have something and I would simply answer that and Mm -hmm. that you know it was there was no other leading information they could ever draw out of me you know Mm -hmm. I was very intentional okay there's the question and then there's the answer and stop Right. Okay. Here's mm-hmm. the next thing. You know, there was never any like leading information, and they're like, "Okay, Michelle, we're no more questions." And I, I mean, <laughs> they're like, "We're not getting this one." Like, so we might as well. Like our attorneys were like, "You're probably gonna be there for a very long time because I was mm-hmm. a key mm-hmm. relationship." Yeah, if that makes sense, right? In yeah. the scenario, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and they were like they're probably gonna have a million like I mean literally that was like the quickest I was like okay thank you and I just kind of got down you know but mm-hmm. it's just like because that curiosity felt like it was for ammunition for them so I love exactly. that, that example right mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah. so therefore I was very intentional to just ask answer what you asked and zip it right you yeah. know and then yeah like, you can't get any these are trained people I'm like you know so that was that okay so as we wrap up Ijama I've enjoyed this Mm -hmm. conversation likewise as we wrap up you mentioned and I said I was going to put a pin and come back about how a lot of the work you do helps other people like career I think especially with kind of finding Mm -hmm. their purpose right Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to listeners who are at a point in their lives where they recognize that they had self-silenced in a way that they may not have realized. Maybe they've gotten some realizations from this conversation today, right? Mm-hmm. And they're also really wondering how can they know, you know, how purpose is tied to that. Like, I know that's a pretty general question, but what advice would you give or have or questions for them to consider? Sure. First question I would ask in terms of at least self-silencing, ask yourself, how is your silence serving you? People really need to ask themselves that. How is it serving you? How is it of benefit to you? And then if you're not able to name anything positive, then that should be a wake-up call for you. Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself, how would it serve you if you weren't silent? And kind of write those things down so you can have a visual representation for yourself. Sometimes we get so stuck in our minds, things get kind of fuzzy and clouded in there. Sometimes it really helps to write it out bullet by bullet to see it for yourself, why it's worth it to not be silent. And then explore like what you can do to empower you to not be silent anymore? Is it reaching out to your human resources, friends, colleagues to maybe share about what you're thinking and feeling? Because sometimes you have to reveal, uh, who said it? I, I don't know who said it. Is it Jay-Z? They said, you can't heal what you don't reveal. Oh, yeah. Yep, that's yeah. So you have to find a trusted person to talk about anything that, that you're concerned about or you feel silenced by because it's liberating. And so once you've taken ownership of that particular gesture, you don't allow that silence to own you, right? You're kind of guiding that ship, the direction of that. So I would encourage just some starting steps is to write things out for you. How is it serving you? How does it not serve you? Meditate on that reflection that you've written. And then the second part to your question, I know you talked about purpose. Was that? Uh-huh. Okay. And how is the silence tied to your purpose? But, you know, I know in life we kind of coach people on how to really take ownership of their experiences and, and to speak up. And sometimes, you know, it is important for us to have these experiences because once we come out of it, we have a story to tell. So it's yeah. really, I don't, I don't know how to kind of balance that. I'm still thinking mm-hmm. through that. Mm-hmm. But know that your experiences are not in vain. And once you get out of it, you'll have a story to tell. And your story is just not for you. It's for other people. So you have to not be silent anymore and share your story because you might be that very person that's empowering the next person to take action on their wildest dreams. Yeah. So your challenges, your trials, all of that, those struggles that you've experienced where you feel silent is a gift. 
that's a way of viewing it. It's a gift because then you can tell your story of the emotion behind it, the pain behind it and how you overcame it for someone else, like to tell that story for someone else to be inspired by. The absolute perfect way to close this out. Like that was, yes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Sure. So for everyone who wants to connect with Dr. Ijama, her bio, website links, social links will be on the episode webpage. So you can go there, you can connect with her, you can follow her. Ijama, did you want to say any final things before we say goodbye to our listeners for today? Just... Be well. <laughs> I wish I had something better to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these are trying times with COVID and everything. And a lot of people that I, well, at least that I've been coaching have been talking about like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? We've been conditioned and trained in this world to be on go constantly. Mm-hmm. And so I also feel that this COVID period, it is painful, but it's also a gift, a gift mm-hmm. to sit still and to reflect and sit in the messiness of the unknown so that you could reflect on what you really want in life and start crafting a plan for yourself. Use it as a time to do just that and to be okay with the stillness of it all because it's all purposeful. And when we get out of this, you'll be prepared and ready to go. But I am so thankful, at least for myself, that we get this period, although painful, this period to stay still. Like we've been on a hamster wheel for so many years and I just feel like God or the universe or however you identify it is is like, y'all need to chill in this world. Y'all need to calm down. And here's how y'all about to calm down. I got to do coronavirus. Like that's how I interpret it. And, you know, use this time to just be still and be reflective on what you want in your life and then craft a plan for yourself to go after it. That was very long. That's all right. Until next time, everyone. Ta-ta. Bye. To watch the video episode with today's co-host, visit KeishaShields.com slash podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified of our next episode because you won't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to this episode of She Will Not Be Silenced with Keisha Shields. If you are an executive or highly driven leader ready to amplify your wealth, legacy, and your voice on your terms and overcome the impact of feeling silenced, visit KeishaShields.com slash hire to work with me one-to-one or to find more information on how to bring me into your company or organization to help support your women leaders.